I want you all to know that I've counted the numbers on my manuscript. They are all there. God is blank. God is blank. What would you fill that blank in? I want you to think about that. God is blank. I'm going to give you a couple of seconds. Would you say that God is loving? Would you say that God is powerful? God is able? God is strong, wise, holy? Now put up your hand if I mentioned or read out one of your blanks. Wow, so none of you had those ones that I read out. Okay, put up your hand if you said that God is light. Oh, well done, Lynn, Jeremy as well. Okay, well, and you guys would be right to say that God is light. 1 John 1, 5 says, This God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. But it's an odd thing to say, isn't it, to say that God is light? What does that even mean? Light is a noun, it's a thing. Whereas all the other examples that I read out, they're adjectives. They go about describing God. But a noun like light doesn't describe him, does it? So what are we getting at when we say that God is light? Well, today, what I want to do with you is I want to do a dot-to-dot puzzle. I'm sure you can all remember them from primary school. We're going to be looking at a couple of different Bible passages that explore this idea that God is light. And by the end, once we've connected all the dots, hopefully we'll have a beautiful picture. I'm sure you all don't need reminding. It's nine days until Christmas. And my intent over the next little while is to present a picture for you that will help us praise God this Christmas, but additionally also challenge us. So please join with me as I pray for our time this afternoon. Lord, Father, we ask that you would move us by the picture that you present of yourself as one who is light. This we pray in your name. Amen. Well, our first dot on this, of this puzzle is a place at the start of God's book. And at this stop, we will see that God is both powerful and holy. That first dot is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. It should come up on the screen and it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. See, when God thought about creating for the very first time, his first action was to create light. See, there was no light. And God looked, and he saw, and he decided light is needed. And he spoke. And when he spoke those words in verse 3, we see a picture of his power. See, Genesis doesn't provide us with any details about how he created other than it came from his mouth, came from the words from his mouth. And at this point, we can see a great gulf between our words and his words. I can speak and most of the time, nothing will happen. If I were to say to this music stand right here, move, I guarantee you it won't budge. But his power, his power is unmatched. 
Sometime today or in the future, I'm sure you're all going to go about turning on a light switch. And the expected result from turning on that light switch is that your room will no longer be in darkness. And I don't know about you, but I don't wait in anticipation to see if darkness will win against light when I do that. See, light never seems to struggle. As soon as I flip the switch, my room will be full of light. And it's due to its properties that it will always overcome the darkness. The clearest example of this is the sun, which God created in day four. When the sun rises to interrupt the darkness of the night, the darkness doesn't ever fight back, does it? When light is present, it will win. See, this is the very first thing that we notice about God in Genesis chapter 1, that God is powerful. And the second thing is that God is holy. See, to be holy is to be different. And what shows God to be holy, what shows God to be different, is seen by his actions, which bring about good. When God saw the world, the writer describes it as being formless and empty and dark. Essentially, this world was uninhabitable. But when God brought forth light, it was the very first step for human life to exist. The first three days, God is designing a world where creatures can flourish. And then on days four to six, he's filling that earth up with those creatures. And light is good because it brings periods both of day and night, which would provide time for rest and for work. A classroom uh, teacher walks around her classroom inspecting her students' work. She comes to Samantha. Beautiful handwriting you have there, Samantha. She then proceeds on to the next student. I love how you've remembered to cross your T's there, Johnny. And she does this for all her students except for one, for Frank. The teacher just ignored Frank. Poor Frank. Say, what would you naturally conclude if you were Frank? See, the silence, the silence is incriminating, isn't it? Darkness isn't defined. And due to darkness being the very absence of light and light being good, by consequence, darkness must be Well, it must be bad. You may also note in verse 5 that after God had finished his work on day 1, that it was evening. It was nighttime. It was darkness. We don't see God work again until the morning. See, this is because if God is light, then he can't associate with the darkness. Even though he is present in the darkness, he won't work in the darkness. He chooses to remain holy. And it is this attribute of our God which creates a gulf between himself and his creatures. See, God is in the heavens, whereas we, we all dwell on earth. God is the author of good, whereas his creation eventually becomes bad. And as a result, there's a distance between us, his creatures, and him the creator. So, what does God do about this distance between himself and the things that he has created? Well, that moves us on to our second point in John chapter 1. Throughout Genesis 1, you can assume that God is talking to himself. 
Because who is it, who is it that he's exactly talking to in that chapter? Well, John is reflecting upon the creative narrative in Genesis chapter 1, and he presents a slightly different perspective on this episode. See, God, God wasn't by himself. Someone else was with him. And he was named the Word. And we see this in verse 1, that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, when you stop and think about it, that can be quite a difficult concept to understand. Was the Word with God, or was the Word God? Well, the answer is that it was both. This person is both with God and was God. He was part of God, but no less God himself. See, this idea relates directly to the Trinity, that God is both one with three persons. And this is what John is trying to communicate. In verse 3, this person has God's power, that through him the whole world was made. See, God wasn't speaking to himself at creation. He was speaking to this person within himself. The next thing we hear about this one is that in him is the light of all mankind, in verse 4. If I haven't already suggested this, it is true to say that God is light and that in him he made everything in the world, including us. Then it's true to say that for us to live to our fullness means that we need to be linked to him who is our life source. For us to be light, we need to share in his light. We're going to think more about verse number 4 of chapter 1 of John a little bit later on. Then in verse 5, John, he gives us a bit of a spoiler. That just as when God powerfully separated light from darkness, showing both his power and his holiness, he will do it again through this one who has created the world. But at this point, we don't know how. That's until you get to verse 9. That this true light, which gives life to everyone, is coming into the world. See what's happening here? God is closing the gap. He's coming to us. Currently, if you were to look up smarttraveller.org, which is the Department of Foreign Affairs travel website, it would say that no one should travel to Afghanistan. Was anyone thinking about travelling to Afghanistan in the next couple of weeks? All right, you're all safe. That's good. The department says that it's an extremely dangerous place to go to as there is a security situation over there at the moment, along with it having a high risk of terrorism. They suggest that you should, if you are to go, you should hire a dedicated armed personal security protection. And even if you do go and do that, that precaution may not be enough. So if you were to hear this advice from the Australian government, would you go to Afghanistan? You probably wouldn't go, would you? See, I often wonder what smart traveller would have told Jesus about him coming to earth. They may say that the people won't recognise you, despite you being the one in which all life and light comes. The nation that you consider your friends, the one that you bless, the one that you are loyal to, the nation of Israel... They won't recognise you. You're going to be rejected. You're going to suffer despite your fame, often not having a place to lay your head. I'd imagine the Department of Foreign Affairs would tell him, don't come. 
Don't do it. But despite knowing all this, before it happened, he put on flesh, he dwelt among us, so that we may receive him and be children of God. So let's sum up those first two dot points so far. God is powerful, God is holy, which makes him different. We first saw this difference in day one when he created light and separated it from the darkness. Due to him creating light and being light, there was a gap between us and him. Despite this, he still came to earth as a human being, being unrecognised by those whom he created. This leads us on to our third dot point there, a light that will heal humanity's darkness. When John, our writer, finally revealed that this one who was from the beginning is Jesus, he goes on and gives us a selected biography of Jesus' ministry and life. In chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples came across a man born blind. And you might want to flip open to chapter 9 if you're still in John 1. Jesus' disciples asked him a question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus denies both those answers, but states that this has occurred so that the work of God may be displayed in him. It's not his blindness that, that Jesus wants his disciples to fixate on, but that God has the ability to overcome this man's blindness so that God's power may be displayed. The day in which Jesus is about to perform this miracle is the Sabbath, a day in which you are strictly prohibited to do any work. But knowing that his time was short on earth, God chose to do good. Jesus chose to do good while he still had opportunity to do so. See, a time was coming when the darkness of the night would prohibit Jesus to do any more work. But while it was the light of day, Jesus would still resolve to work. That's what he's suggesting there in verse 4 of chapter 9 of John. The darkness of the night represents death, whereas the light of the day represents life. So while Jesus is still alive, he will do all that he can to display the work of God. At this point, we shouldn't miss how Jesus' actions mirror that of his father in Genesis chapter 1. See, God only works in the light of day. He won't associate with the darkness of the night. As the story proceeds, the man is able to see after being sent by Jesus to wash the mud off his eyes at the pool of Shalom. Afterwards, he gets harassed by the Pharisees, who then eventually kick him out of the temple. Then in verse 35, Jesus finds him and asks him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man eventually replies, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. To conclude this story, Jesus says this, and this is verse, I think it's 39 of John chapter 9, the verse should come up on our screen. He says this, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. At this point, Jesus is no, lo- no longer talking about physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. See, I think we could all imagine being blind as we know what it would feel like not to see. I'm sure we could all relate to being blindfolded. It'd be incredibly frustrating, wouldn't 
wouldn't it? You would lose your independence instantly. Simple tasks like tying your shoes or making a cup of tea or crossing the road, they become extremely dangerous. They become difficult. It would be frustrating. It would be hard. You would feel helpless. See, that's what it feels like to live in this world. To be blind is to be human. Every part of our being can testify to this. The work that we do, it's hard and grueling. The relationships that we have are draining. We feel tired, we feel exhausted. The things that you desperately would like to do in this life, you don't have time for. And when we feel these things, we can feel blind, we can feel frustrated, we can feel helpless, like we're walking through life but feeling that we could do this better. If only our lives weren't so impeded by our blindness. If only there was someone who could point us in the right direction to help us get, us, get our lives back on track, to be our light. I want you to know that the picture that I've just painted there is far too lenient on ourselves. It's not by some chance or some unlucky break that our lives have accumulated to this particular point. It's not that we need the right coaching or the right piece of advice to get us back on the pathway of light. No, our blindness is self-inflicted. Earlier, Jesus says this in John chapter 3, and the verse should come up. He says this, Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The truth is is that we all run to the darkness. It didn't unexpectedly creep up on us. See, this was our very nature from our birth. But there's hope because Jesus' words here in John chapter 9 offer hope. They offer healing. In that story in John chapter 9, Jesus claims to be the light of the world. And if we receive him, he will make us see. For this is the very reason why he came. He came down to offer humanity healing. And that healing came at him, shouldering our darkness by enduring the cross. In uh, the three synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark and Luke, they all record that when Jesus was dying on that cross at noon, darkness covered the whole land. And this isn't actually the first time that the Bible describes an incident where darkness descends instantly. See, God spoke to the prophet Moses in the book of Exodus, and he said to him, Outstretch your hand over the, hand, over the land of Egypt. And for three days, the Egyptians, they were in darkness. See, that was the ninth plague at the time that God had sent upon the Egyptians due to them not releasing the Israelites as their slaves. That plague served as a sign of of judgment, that if they don't repent, then the firstborn son in all the lands of Egypt would die. See, that what's occurring there in Exodus, that judgment, see, that's the same judgment of darkness that was cast upon Jesus. The gospel writers correlate that event 
the death of Jesus, when the whole land turned dark, when he was dying on that cross with his arms outstretched, when another event that was occurring at the same time. I want you to see this and see if you can connect the dots here. It's Luke. And this is what Luke has to say. And the verse should come up. Thanks, Tommy. It was, about, it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped, set, the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That curtain, that's uh, not in that verse there, but that curtain that Luke is referring to in that temple was a barrier that separated God's presence from us. See, we could never enter the presence of God because, our, because of our darkness and his lightness. But that barrier was torn when Jesus died. Can you see how we're connecting the dots here? The gospel writers, they didn't include that little bit of detail about the weather as some type of dramatic effect. The darkness of the weather was a symbol of what Jesus was experiencing when he hung on that cross. He was shouldering our darkness so that we could have his light. That was how Jesus is able to heal our blindness. When we receive this by faith, we completely change. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. See, if I were to ask you now, what's more impressive in Genesis chapter 1 where God shone light into darkness and separated it, or for God to make his light shine in our hearts, what would you consider? See, the first option, that's pretty impressive, right? But the second option is a lot more impressive. It's more impressive because it actually cost God something. And it's this knowledge, the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ, which changes our hearts. See, every day when we wake up, we receive a little bit of knowledge, don't we? Knowledge about the weather, knowledge about traffic conditions, knowledge about the world around us, like like the news that was reported to us. Essentially, all those things we get from our smartphone, don't we? That's in our pockets. And sometimes this knowledge that we receive, it's, it's interesting. Other times, it's life-changing. See, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently and have heard many interesting things, but most of it hasn't been life-changing. Most of the time, it's just been interesting. But to know the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ, seen at the cross, to know and believe that piece of knowledge has huge personal implications. Because if John chapter 1, verse 5, which we looked at in dot point number 2, that Jesus is the light of all man- mankind, that he is the light of the world, to be human is to be in his light, to have faith, in that, that changes your heart from one of darkness to one of light. See, just as light shines out of darkness, God has shined 
into our hearts. We've both we've now arrived at our last dot point, which will connect all the dots so that we see this beautiful picture. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In chapter 9 of John, Jesus claims to be the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he claims that we are the light of the world. And it's because God has shined his light into our hearts, we now become his light. See, this is the most unlikely turn of events in our story, isn't it? Those who run away from the light to join the darkness would be used by the light to be a light. In a sense, our, heart, our new hearts, they become mirrors. See, by ourselves, we can't generate any light to please God. But when we are connected to him who is the light of the world, then we too will reflect his light to our world. And that will be attractive to some who will glorify our Father due to the good that they see us do. So imagine if you were in the ancient world and you were travelling and the sun had just set and the landscape had become dark and you see a city shining on a hill. That would be an attractive sight, wouldn't it? It'd be attractive because to reach that city would mean shelter. To reach that city would mean a chance, <clears throat> a chance to rest. It would mean company after a day's travel. See, to be a city is to draw people to yourself. Just like people are drawn to live in some of the biggest cosmopolitan cities of our world due to job opportunities, attractions and lifestyle, we too need to be like cities that keep on getting bigger. And as time keeps on ticking... The one who came to us, who has stated that he will come again. And when he does, he will gather those who were attracted to the light. And the darkness that was in the beginning, that will be no more. And there will be no more night. God's people will on that day finally be able to rest in his presence and be with him forever. See, that's the picture of the Christian life. At the moment, it's an incomplete picture, but the Bible has given us the ending. See, if I were to summarise what we have seen today, I would give you just one verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, that's not just a physical reality, but that's a spiritual reality. See, where Jesus is our light for our dark world. So in response to this, knowing that Christmas is nine days away, how should we leave church today after connecting our dots to see this beautiful picture? Well, I have two last points. The first one is this. Endeavour to be moved. 
endeavour to be moved by the Christmas story this year. This is a bit of a plug, but if you have not been to Point Church's Carols and Canapes on the 24th, you have to come. You know, you come through these doors and you get welcomes and you get a little booklet and you get this electric light. And then you come into this particular space and all the lights are turned down and you have these fairy lights and a couple of spotlights. And the setting, it's, it's intimate. It's beautiful. And you sit there and while you sit there, you listen to scripture after scripture and carol after carol proclaiming the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ entering the world. And your heart inside your chest, it just, it just melts as you meditate on the grandeur of what happened some 2,000 years ago. See, it's a, a moving event because it speaks of a moving event. So come, come along to carols and canapes and bring your friends and your family. This also goes without saying, and it's so easy to do with all the planning that needs to be done around Christmas and this period of time, but let's continue to connect the dots like we've done today as we survey the picture that we have of Christ in the scriptures. See, to be moved by the Christmas story will involve reading it. So I urge you to stop, reflect, and just daydream a little bit about what God has presented to us in his word. It's a wonderful story. And if you do that, it will do wonders for your soul. The simple fact is that we don't reflect. And if we don't reflect, we won't be moved. And if we aren't moved, then we won't shine. And to not shine is not to have Christ as the light of our world. Like I said, it's a moving story. And if you have your head and your heart in the right place, it won't fail to keep stirring your affections. Which leads me to my last point. Endeavour to shine. If it's true that people will glorify our Father in heaven due to us being the light of the world, then we should endeavour to do good. The Christmas period is one where we get the opportunity to see many friends and family, many of whom will be looking at us. And we can be a little bit cynical. I don't know about you, but I can be a little bit cynical and think that no one's really looking at me. But we've heard from God that they do. They do look at our deeds. And they can have the effect of bringing someone from darkness to light. So we may need to examine our actions this Christmas and think carefully how to act. So it may be involved being careful in regards to how much alcohol you consume this Christmas period. It may involve not listening to the gossip at your work Christmas party. It may involve not bringing up contentious family politics at Christmas lunch. It may involve being brave and speaking to a family member about Jesus, the light of our world. It may involve being a peacemaker between those in your family that have a history of tension. Think about how you can shine. I'm going to end our service, our sermon today um, with a famous stanza from A Christmas Carol. It says this, Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from his holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord at his birth, 
Jesus, Lord, at his birth.